All aboard the gravy train! Are you riding your financial planner or broker's gravy train? Your financial prospectus outlines how brokers are allowed to charge you hidden fees. Next stop, hidden fees! Want to take back control of your retirement income? Just get off at the next stop. And tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Arif Halaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Hey, welcome to the show. Happy belated Thanksgiving. I'm Eric Hallaby, the total financial hour on AM870 The Answer. 888 retire. That's 888 retire. 888-997-3847. Hey, thanks for being with me. Uh, listen, a, a lot of what we talk about on our show is, is driven by you guys. It's driven by conversations that I have with clients. A lot of you come into the office. We have conversations about your retirement. We try to find solutions for you if we can. The goal is to sit down and figure out, is there a way to give you some sort of guaranteed retirement income or, or at least a steady stream of retirement income? Uh, and when I say the word guaranteed, as much as that can be, right, so many of you are considering well, my union pension is always guaranteed or Social Security is always guaranteed. Well, I, you know, I guess you're going to get something from them. I, I don't know if it's exactly what they promise. It all depends on a lot of factors. Just to give you a little bit of a, an outline of how pensions work, think of it like this. They're made up of three parts. The first part is your contribution. That means the first part is the dollars that you've put in and or other employees put in. So there are dollars that are put in consistently and those dollars that are put in uh, equal or should equal a percentage of your pay, 10%, 8%, maybe even 15%. If I was king of the pension world, I would require all employees to put in 15%, one five, and I would say you're not going to ever get more than 7-0, 70% of your income when you retire. Just not going to happen. There's not enough money in the world. You're going to live too long. And I would create a formula around that. And And part of that reason and what's important to it is for so many of you, you're living longer, right? Because the, the second part of the pension contribution is the interest that you earn. So what you're expecting or what you're receiving is, is sometimes different because the pension managers, their job is to invest. Sometimes they buy real estate. One of the big pensions here in California is buying real estate, but outside of California. In fact, they stopped buying in California for a long time. Even though it's a union-managed pension, right, in the sense that it's for union members. What they did is they've chosen to buy outside of California. Why? Because they call it, are you ready for this? It's a hostile environment for investment if you're the man, right? If you're, if you're the person who is considered, uh, I don't know, privileged, right? Isn't it funny, right? Bernie Sanders and, and the like are all about privilege as long as it doesn't affect them. Right? They're all about uh, taking away from you and giving to them. 
or others as long as it doesn't take from them. Well, that's the same thing. There's union pensions here in, in California that are some of the larger ones. And where are they investing? Outside of California because it has a hostile business environment, hostile real estate environment, a mismanaged executive environment when it comes to real estate and buying in real estate world. In fact, they consistently go out and buy in red states. No joke. Nevada, Texas. So when people want to run around and say, it's Californians that are buying outside of the state, keep this in mind. It isn't just Californians that are driving up the property values in Las Vegas or in uh, you know, Idaho or Utah or, or Texas. It, it's people that are, it, it's investment companies out of Boston, out of Chicago, New York. These organizations who are charged with protecting the income of its retirees like they should be. That's their job. And if they're buying outside of these blue states and these blue cities, what is it? Do as I say, not as I do? Right? I think that seems to be the, the, the driving factor. So that's the second is the investment returns. Now, if between the two of those, like let's say the investment returns are negative. Let's say the pension actually loses money. Then what? Well, then the next step that you have to fall down the road is, is say, well, the organization, the, the company, if you work for General Motors or, or General Electric or any of these large companies, right, that have a pension still, not all of them do, some do, then they have to put in more money. If not, then the, it's the employer, right, that might be the city, the county, the state. So don't forget that these city, county, state employers, their job is to take care of themselves as well. But remember, if they're going to pull money to pay to put into your pension, here's my concern, guys. They well, they have a mandate to raise taxes there. If you're making up stuff, you're just making you're trying to scare people. Well, okay, so maybe wake up people would be a better way of putting it because it's simple. They can tax people until they can't tax people. Or until there aren't people left to tax, or until people say we're moving, or until Right, I mean, there's all sorts of times when it, when you think it's okay until it isn't. So there's three pie parts to the pie. If people are putting in money that are employees, if the investment returns are positive, then the city, county, state puts in less money. But if the investment returns are negative or they didn't achieve what they thought they were going to achieve, then what? The city, county, state has to put in more money? Because they're not going to take from you. Every time they do, the union squawks and yells and screams, and, and maybe they should. But you realize that somewhere, somehow, somebody's going to have to step in and, and say, guys, to pay somebody 90% of their wages for the next 30 years, and it's going to take three people to do one person's job. Why? Because somebody's going to be working, somebody's going to be retired, and somebody retired a long time ago. So there isn't enough money. It isn't a problem that is political. It's just a math problem. So I need you to, to think of alternatives, all right? I need you to make sure you pay down your debt, especially long-term debt, especially bad debt, right? Cars, home equity lines of credit. I don't like those. Credit cards for sure. Student loans, never. But pay them off. Because as you go through this process of planning on making, let's say, 75% of your pension or 75% of your Social Security. Because statistically, if you're in your 60s, 
you're going to get to the point, you're going to still be working and you'll still be alive when about 75% of your pension is now available. Uh, sorry, of your Social Security. Because Social Security is statistically supposed to, quote, run out of money at 2030. Now, I don't think it's going to just disappear. Or 2033, they change the, t- the numbers. That's not what I think is going to happen. What I think is going to happen instead is they will just say, hey, I know you were expecting $2,000 in Social Security check. You're only going to get 1500 That That's what I think is going to happen. Now, if you were used to spending $2,100 a month for every 2000 that you received, now you have a problem. So I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but I think the better off you are at planning and protecting and saving, paying off debt, squirreling away money, buying investment property, if that's your thing, putting money in, in, in um, I like indexed annuities, fixed indexed annuities, that's my thing, right? I like the safety, the guarantee, fixed annuities, a place where you are in a safer place because everybody's smart when the market goes up. Everybody's smart when the real estate market goes up. <laughs> Remember when, when in 2001, whatever, you bought a house for 320 and by 2007, it was worth 600 and you thought you were the smartest person around. Well, honey, do you know who you're married to? Look at me. Real estate magnet, that's who I am. And then, and then, oops, you took out money to take out money. You bought into a condo complex in Miami or Fort Myers. Or you decided you were going to buy a, you know, low-income housing in Phoenix because you were going to flip it. And before you know it, you end up with 10, 12, 15 or more doors, right? rental properties, doors. Duplex counts as two. And these 10 or 15 doors that you ended up with, now you're broke. Because you leverage to leverage to leverage. You bet on the come and it didn't work. So one of the strategies I want you to think about is how do you prepare on the for sure? Bet on what you know. Right? Real estate gurus will say, I, bought, uh, I made money the day I bought the property. That means they bought it for a good price. That means they knew what their market was. They didn't have to wait for the market to catch up to their price and then surpass it because of this bidding war. So if it means that you're in your 60s or your 70s and you're starting to plan and prepare and you're thinking about you know, longer-term retirement, I want you to start thinking about it sooner rather than later. Meaning, does that mean this is the forever house? Is it a single story? Does it have an elevator? Does it have the ability to get upstairs and downstairs? Do you need to get upstairs very often, right? Sometimes people don't. So there's a lot of what you can do behind the scenes. If the property is too big, listen, we've been talking about this. If you had come to any of our uh, total money school classes in the 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, all the way through, we used to run classes and our classes would say this. When do people buy their most expensive slash biggest house? Well, usually you do it between 35 years old and 45 years old. And the reason is simple because that's the time when you know your, your job, where it's going to be, what, what promotion track you're on. It, it means you know what your pay is. It means you know what the size of your family, what school district, what area in town you want to live. Your career is reasonably settled. So all that brings you to the place where you say, I'm going to buy my biggest slash most expensive house between 35 and 45 years old. Take the baby boomer generation, 1946 to 1964. Do the math. 
When would you expect a glut on the market? 2009, surprise, collapse. When do you think the next one's going to happen? I don't know. I just think these largest, these larger homes, four-bedroom, five-bedroom, 3,000, 4,000 square feet, they're wonderful to raise a family. But when you start thinking about who's going to move into it, who's going to buy your house, right? Because there were 72 million baby boomers that bought 40 million homes from their parents. The parents bought the house for 35000 and sold it to you for 500 You buy it for 500 eh, you think you're going to sell it for $3 million. That's part of your retirement strategy is your home. It's in a great neighborhood and on and on. Until there is, there's few people to buy it because, well, they're able to work in a different part of town called Colorado. They're able to get on a plane to come for a morning meeting and turn around and go back and be home before 3 p.m. Because they can reach out of Phoenix or Las Vegas right, or Seattle. These areas where people can choose to live are changing the movement because everybody wants you to pay more stuff. Everybody does. They want you to pay more in taxes. They want you to pay for their kids to go to high school and college and it's for the children. It's for the children. Children. We're going to attack rich people so everybody thinks everybody else is rich, right? It doesn't matter how much you have. I, I've told you, I think, before, we've had clients that had 300,000 in their account, their, their retirement accounts, and 10, 15, well, one is 30 million. That's, that's wonderful. They all think they're middle class, maybe upper middle class, but nobody thinks they're rich. So when somebody comes along and says, we're going to tax the rich, they go, yeah, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. Because it's always somebody else. It's always that other person who, who has the money. We want to take from them because you know what? I'm a good person. And if I'm a good person and I don't have six cars, a house in Aspen and, and one in the Hamptons, then maybe, maybe they must be bad. So they had to get their money in, in an illegal way or an evil way. Because if I, well, look, if it was about being good, I'm the best. I'm, I'm, I'm the most gooder ever. So give me all the stuff. And that's what happens is people get to the place where they think, if it's not about my life being uh, who's deserving, because they think wealth is about deserving. Well, it is. Because retirement wealth is different. You know, ask yourself the kind of risk that you take in your retirement accounts. Does it make sense that if you were to lose 20% or more, that your life is going to, well, are you going to sleep the same? What if you gain 20% or more? Right? All of a sudden, are you going to fly around on private jets or buy that fancy red Italian sports car you always wanted? Probably not. I mean, if you didn't already do it, you probably aren't going to do it. Why? Because you are who you are. By the time you retired, you know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. You know what you would do if you had an extra million dollars dropped on your lap or five million or 10 million. You know what you would do with it. And after you bought that one thing, whatever it is, then you're done. Right? So other than that, it's peace of mind. It's lifestyle. It's quality of life. It's, it's living to believe that you have, if you will, a purpose. And that purpose is much greater than you running around and being a consumer of stuff. 
So now you're in retirement land. You're still taking risks. The market goes up. You think you're a real estate genius slash, I mean, stock market genius because the market is going up. You think, oh, well, look at how smart I am. It's at all-time highs. Take a look at what the S&P 500 have done and then look at your portfolio and then compare them. And if you're a buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, if whomever you choose or have chosen as a broker or brokerage team or whatever, if they have beat the S&P 500, then I'm, I'm saying probably keep it. If you, if you like that kind of risk, it's probably not a bad deal. Keep it. But if they haven't, then it's kind of like running in place. Right? Or for my older generation friends, you've heard this, <laughs> you've heard this term before. It's like kissing your sister. Right? It, it doesn't really count. It's kind of like this. Get to the place in your life where you say, I've taken enough risk, at least with the, with the nest egg. Right? The, the chunk of money that I don't want to go away. There's wait, reasons to have risk. And when you find somebody that is really good at, not at talking, but at performing. Right? They can be wonderful people. And I'm never questioning their integrity or their heart. And by the way, it's your job to judge their actions. Jesus' job to, to judge their heart or whoever you, you believe in. That, that's their job. You are supposed to judge people. Three o'clock in the morning, you're walking down the street because your car broke down. On one side of the street, it's five people in business suits carrying a briefcase. On the other side of the street are five uh, hoodlum-looking teenagers with hoodies. What side do you walk on? <gasps> you're a bigot. Come on, you guys. There's power in dividing you and calling you names. Soon as you start to think something and CNN puts out that you're a bigot, it's over. Don't think independently. Get in line with the crowd. Walk and talk like everybody else. Otherwise, if you don't think like me, what is the difference between if you don't think like me and you have money, you must be, oh, well, you must be wrong because I'm a good person. To the somebody else who says, if you don't think like me politically, well, then you must be evil. Sometimes it's okay to have somebody think left or right or up or down or blue or red. There's crazies on the far left. There's no question. They're the biggest, uh, well, the loudest mouths at least. And frankly, the scariest today. Right? If we were in, well, I don't know, 1920s, 1935 America, right? Birth of a nation and and the KKK, they would be the scary ones, right? Millions of people show up to these rallies. That would scare the daylights out of me. Today, what? There's, you know, 75 people or something. Who has the power? Who has the money? Who has the influence? Who can scare the heck out of you with a few words? Racist and bigoted. And then you get to the place in your life where you say, well, gosh, I just want to invest my money. I just want to plan for retirement. I don't want to have to do this. Well, then they say, well, then you must be horrible. I think they're going to raise taxes on you. I think you with money are going to be the enemy of the people. There's no question. I think they're going to take from you to give to those who are lazy, don't want to work. I'm not saying those that are injured, of course. Give them a chance. Give them a step up in life. But when I see these folks standing on the freeway off ramps, the, the left's idea is to take from you to give to them. Why? Because we must feel sorry for them. Instead of saying, hey, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you clean from this end of the street to that end of the street? Pick up the trash. And then the person who's a bit more creative where he says, hey, I'm going to create a little 
you know, a string on a baggie so I can pick it up and then pick up trash. I used to do that. Right? I can tell you for an entire summer, that was my job, was to pick up trash on the weekends after parties, uh, after business parties at a, at a picnic area. I was a lifeguard during the day. That night on Saturday, Sunday, I would pick up the trash. Why? Because they were going to pay me the same amount they paid me as a lifeguard, seven fifty an hour or whatever it was. I thought, you're kidding me. So another two hours? That's four hours a week? Folks, that's a lot of money when you're a kid trying to make it. Because my objective in life was to succeed. I think they're going to take from you. And they're going to do so because they're going to make you feel bad. As soon as you start speaking up, you're, you're going to be called a, ba- a bigot, a, a racist, a, a greedy, right? Greedy is going to be one of the next things that come down the road. You have to be greedy because you have something they didn't. It can't be your decisions because if your decisions were, were, whoa, wait a second. You mean you actually went to college? Oh, wait a second. You actually started a career. You showed up on time to work. You worked on the weekends. You worked when your boss needed you to work a little extra overtime. You mean, it it couldn't be the habits that you created. Because just like there are habits to be poor, there are habits to be wealthy. No question about it. So I need you to realize that you have to be involved. Whenever the conversation gets to, it's for the children, for the children, for clean water, Clean water, clean air. Clean water, clean air. It's for the children and nurses. Who doesn't like a nurse? Raise your hand because you're not a nice person. Old people, nurses, children, firemen. Firemen are amazing. We like, I mean, do you get it? Anytime there is something in the state of California ballot and it says we're going to charge you more money for the children, for education, right? Education. Are you kidding me? That's what you conned us on the lottery for. The lottery in California was supposed to fix our education woes. Instead, here's what they did. They took money from the education budget. So, let's play pretend for a minute. The lotto created a million dollars. They went to the education budget. They reduced it by a million dollars. Then they put in a million. What did they do with that other money from the education budget? Huh. I don't know. Diane Feinstein's husband became pretty wealthy from those kind of schemes. Um, who else? Gavin Newsom, I bet you his pocketbook is just a little bit. He's a public servant, era. Yeah. Take a look at his financial disclosure and then take a look at yours. Right? And, and see if you can tell what kind of lieutenant governor slash mayor of San Francisco slash who knows what he's been doing. It's an incestuous game that these people play. And I'm not saying the left is the only one that has the power It's on both sides, guys. Right? There's an institution that's created from taking money from you, making you feel bad, getting you riled up, getting you upset, so that we can take from the other people or take from you. You have to sit there and think independently. So wait a second. Nobody's going to pay me extra money for just being. Right? I can't control who I am. Martin Luther King said it best. The color of my skin or the content of my character. Right? One I can choose, one I cannot choose. What can I choose? Well, I can choose the way I behave, the way I treat others, the people, persons that I choose to hang out with, the person that I am. 
That's the kind of human being that we should reward. Not somebody who just had something happen to them, right? They became up, down, or left, or right, or, or it's the choices we make. Because your family, your family's depending on it. Because you worked your whole life so that you could spend your last time five minutes before you pass away. <laughs> no. In fact, I've heard this. is pretty funny. Um, and I hear it every once in a while. It kind of disappears and then it comes back. It says, well, listen, Eric, I want the last check that I make to bounce to the undertaker. Right? <laughs> the mortuary, oh, sorry. Then they wheel you out to the street. You get the last laugh. Or reality, which is most of you are living a life so that you can have a better existence, your legacy, whomever that is, your children, your family, your nieces, your nephews, your churches, your charities, the organizations you support. If you cared about those things while you're alive, what makes you think they're not going to need your help when you pass away? So leaving a legacy and leaving something that continues beyond is powerful. All right, we'll cover that when we come back. Got some tips and tricks on how to make sure that your legacy at least does what you think it's supposed to do. Anyway, 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. I'm Arif Halby. The Total Financial Hour on TFS Financial Insurance Services, and we bring it to you every week at this time. The Total Financial Hour on Amy Now Arif has a plan for me. Higher. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Eric Hallaby. Total Financial Hour. This is uh, your place for news, talk, and information. AM870, the answer. Uh, listen, you can get a hold of us at 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. All right. We're talking a little bit about, uh, I don't know, a legacy idea. Because here's what I've come across. I try to give you information of uh, regarding folks that I've met with or situations I've seen in the last week or two, because consistently over time, the issues aren't really that different. You, you have to know this, the consistency in the problems, concerns, strengths, weaknesses of any society, it, they don't change very quickly. So if it's moving, it's moving rather slowly in any direction. So I'm going to tell you where we are and what I see is the biggest issues for you guys when it comes to legacy planning. Because for most people, if you've reached the place, you've heard me talk about this before. I'll say it again because I think it's a great example. I made it up, so that's why I think it's great. Uh, it's this. If you're running a marathon, how long does it take you for, to prepare? A long time, a big part of your life. Well, if you're working and planning to retirement, uh, for retirement, you're planning. It takes a big part of your life. Well, in a marathon, when you finish running the race, you stop. Right, You warm down, you slow down, and eventually you stop running. Because the biggest part of running a race is the goal, is achieving it. So what you did to run the race, moving your legs, uh, hydrating, all the stuff that you had to do when you were running, it isn't the same thing that you do when you stopped running. Right, Your legs stopped moving. So if you're going to take risk with your retirement accounts, if you're going to be out there, you're going to be moving and being excited and and uh, timing the market, whatever your brokers try to tell you to do or not to do. Once you reached retirement age, stop running. You don't need that kind of risk. You reached it. If your number quote for retirement is $2 million and you've saved it, 
and you have 2.3, listen, you want to gamble, so to speak, or play in the market with 300000 go for it. But if you just need to have some or part of your money set aside so that it gives you consistent guarantees in the future, it gives you a, a systematic income. And folks, if you're like me, more importantly than systematic income for me, it's for my wife. It's for the lady that I said uh, I do to now uh, almost 29 years ago. Right? It's to go through and say, hey, here was my commitment. The sacrifices when I, I couldn't be there, when I showed up late at these events because I was busy working two jobs, when you had to take care of the kids to the doctor because I, I had to show up at work, or, or right? Those kinds of things to honor that, the partnership, it's kind of payback time a little bit. And the last thing you want to do is sacrifice all of that time and that energy and that partnership. And then at the end, when it comes time to enjoy it, two years into retirement, have something happen overseas or in the United States or the wackies become president or, or governor or something. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, your life goes into turmoil. You can't sell your rental property. You can't sell your investment. You can't charge extra interest or uh, income on rental. Oh, wait. They're already doing that to rental property, aren't they? They're already punishing you for leaving the state. When you sell your rental property, when you sell your property and you leave the state, you have to pay an exit tax. New Jersey did that. It's incredible to me. How is that not communism? The Soviet Union used to do that all the time. China does that today. All of the things that California, New York, New Jersey, all of the things that they are implementing, instead of making it, oh, I don't know, uh, more pleasant they're in fact punishing you, right? It's the honey or the, the stick, right? Which one do you want to use? So I think a lot of us don't forget. Uh, I think a lot of us forget that from a legacy standpoint, statistically speaking, I'm not going to get it exactly right because the studies can change all the time, but understand if both of you make it to age 65, if you're married and both of you are together at 65, there's a huge percentage of chance, 50, 60% or more, that one of you will make it to age 95. Now, statistically, it's the woman, but, but those age differences are, uh, th- those uh, life expand uh, extendencies, they're really changing. Why are they changing so much? It's very interesting. I think it's because women are working and the stress from, from outside the job. Women are now responsible a lot more to make the money, and that puts more stress. They're sitting in traffic. That puts more stress on their life. They're dealing with, uh, right, they're equal. So you get the equal stuff, the good stuff, and the bad stuff. I think men are not smoking and drinking and having a whiskey after every dinner and meat and potatoes. I think they're slowing down their their craziness of, of life. Right, six cup of coffees, uh, sitting in traffic, uh, steak and potatoes for dinner. I th- I think they're adjusting some of those things. So the difference between the I don't know the, the time that we're both expected to live, I think that's changing and it's going to change. And a lot of us are not going to figure out until it's too late that we didn't have enough money for the other spouse, that we didn't plan on or think about planning that both of us are going to reach that time and live. So I want you to get to the place in life where you understand most likely both of you are going to be alive well into your 70s and 80s and maybe 90s. Now listen, sometimes it doesn't happen. 
We've had numerous clients over the last few months that have come in as widows, and they were widows in their 50s. Women, I think it's 54 is the average age of a widow. In our office, I think it's 57. Now, do you know what that means? You have a second, entirely second life after your spouse of 20 years plus has passed away. I don't know. You know, I've seen a lot of men lose their wives. It used to be much more common, right? Childbirth, ovarian cancer, breast cancer, those kinds of things were, were exclusive to women. And when they would have them and they would pass away, it, the man would marry again, generally speaking, especially if he had long, young children and a farm. So we've generally cured most of those things from being fatal. And at the same time, women are working. They're staying physically fit. Everybody understands this. Men are staying physically fit. They're working out. Both of them are in the, in the world of living longer. So how do you make sure your legacy works? Number one, I like life insurance. You can argue one way or the other, but there's a term insurance policy out there that has a job to do. And you want most of them to expire worthless because it means you're still, you're still alive. Term insurance is just that. What if? What if I don't make it? What if during this journey of me running the race, what if I pass away halfway through the marathon? Right? I didn't save all that I was supposed to save. I didn't plan. My wife stayed home. She gave up her career. She raised her two, three, four children. And now all of a sudden you get halfway through the marathon and you pass away. What happens to her? Well, I think, first of all, and I'm giving you a stereotypical thing. I understand there's men that are in that position and women that are working full time. But realize this. In this part of our life, somebody, you each have a job to do. If your stay-at-home wife passes away, and it happens, then you need to realize something, guys. The grandparents now become parents again. And you have to have somebody handle all of You want to know how difficult it is. Have your wife go away for three or four days. And now you're, you are chief cook and bottle washer and, and carpool driver and financial manager and, and shopper. It's one of the toughest jobs. Men will say, I'm going to go back to work. Forget it. Right? If women did it, it women would say, I'm going to go back to work. Because the stay-at-home spouse is the engineer. They have to manage things. They have to work on timing. Uh, time management is key. They might think, well, Eric, it's a retirement show. You're talking about folks in their 40s and 50s, 30s and 40s. Uh, yes, until this next trend that we are finding more and more shows up in your life, which is parents, when they pass away, the grandparents are taking over. Because you have to have a choice, and your choice is often what? Have my kids go into a daycare. My, sorry, my grandkids go into a daycare. So my son works all day, comes home, picks them up at 7.30, and, and plays Mr. Mom all day. Or my daughter puts the kids in a daycare, Stops her career, gets a job, stops her education, gets a job, whatever. And now the grandparents are taking over because they're saying, I need to give my son or daughter or son-in-law or daughter-in-law, because it's happened in both cases, still a chance to succeed, still a chance to do better. Because eventually the four-year-old is going to be 18, the 15-year-old is going to be driving, eventually the kids are going to be moving on. 
Well, we're finding that grandparents who thought they were going to be semi-retired or retired or traveling the world or whatever their adventures were going to be are suddenly staying home and taking care of kids. I think you need to ensure that stay-at-home spouse. You need to ensure both spouses. Because even if I'm a grandparent and my child is the one that is working full-time and, and making sure that these kids have a college future or whatever their, their dream is, you need, to, you need to get insurance on that person. And if it's only a 10-year journey, right? They're 12 years old, make sure until they're 22. Then get a 10-year term insurance. Get a 20-year term insurance. You can purchase these for very inexpensive uh, amounts of money and make sure that they are protected because the unsung heroes in divorces, the unsung heroes with derelict fathers or mothers, it's usually the grandparents, guys. And nobody's paying attention to you. Everybody thinks, oh, well, you're retired, i.e. you must be rich. And you've heard me say that before. If you have anything more than I have, you must be rich, says every other human being on this planet. That's the only reason everybody votes to, let's tax the rich. Okay, that's right. Ask these people. No, no, we want to tax those that make more than what? Give me the number. And then I'll go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Or no, it isn't. We want to tax people that have more than this. Okay, that's good. Or no, it's not. But they lie to you on purpose. In fact, they know you don't know. They know they can manipulate you by saying tax the rich. So don't expect a lot of help if you're a retired person with a little bit of savings or a home that's paid off. All right, so here's where I'm going with this. I think if you need to get a 20-year term insurance policy, you could probably get half a million, 500,000 to a million for somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000, 3,000 per year. That would be great. Right? So consider that as an option because if you have become this new grandparent-slash-parent role, I don't want you to end up with everybody's problems under your belt. Right? I think you need to have somebody kind of watching out for yourself because we don't know who's going to pass away. All right. What about this? I like the idea and the concept of leaving insurance to your loved ones so that you can drain your retirement account while you're still alive. I mean, spend every day penny of it as much as you can. Don't hold back. Don't say it's for the children or the grandchildren or it's for, no, no, no. What's left can go to a charity church, organization, nonprofit, whatever it is that, you, that matters to you. What I don't want you to do is to take your retirement accounts, save every last penny, and give your life insurance to the charity. You've heard me talk about this recently. But some folks had asked questions, so I just need to make sure it's clear. Life insurance is a tax-free transfer. It goes from the insurance company, to the beneficiary. It circumvents probate. It goes directly to your beneficiaries. In fact, people think that they have a trust. Oh, I have everything in the trust. That's not a, that isn't a, a tax or non-taxable event when it comes to IRAs or 401ks. Right? Your company or individual retirement plans, fine, you can keep them in the trust, but income tax is still due on it. So my point is, I want you to have more bang for your buck. How do you give as much as 30, 40, 50% or more to the people and the organizations you love? 
by doing it in the correct uh, uh, order, right? Make sure that, that those items that are fully taxable, that are going to hit you with the most taxes, right? And you're going to check with your CPA guys, your tax preparer, or your, your enrolled agent. It isn't something that uh, financial professionals can give you some general idea, but you need a financial professional that specializes in tax law or tax rules, especially your situation. Okay, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. Hey, another part for, for life insurance is if I have, remember, if I am a grandparent watching my single son or single daughter's child, you're not going to put that child on the street. Life insurance for that individual child, your child, not your grandchild, while they're still getting their feet on the ground, going back to school, getting a job, blah, 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 fine. Because if you end up if they end up dying and you end up with that child, now you are living your life all over again, except you're not running around at 30 years old trying to catch a, a five-year-old. You're running around at 65 years old trying to catch a five-year-old. And that's a different world. All right. How about disability insurance? I'd almost have disability insurance on the same people in your life. Because as grandparents are becoming surrogate parents to their grandchildren... There needs to be a disability plan because, look, in a normal, quote, I don't know if that's even the right word, in in a traditional household, two people are working or one stays at home and one works and they live in an apartment or they rent, they save up enough money, then they buy their house when they're 32 years old, they move into that school district. On the weekends, he does the work and mows the lawn and cleans up the house and she's and carpool and PTA and all of those things are happening and that's a wonderful time. Well, that doesn't always happen, does it? So disability insurance is key. People get injured. They, they get injured all the time. And it isn't forever. Sometimes they're injured for a few months. So encourage them, the young people, your children, to have money saved. If they don't want to talk about their finances with you, then you need to put them in, in touch with some sort of financial professional that can straighten them up, can you know put them in the right direction. Because here's the key, guys. Your retirement shouldn't be put on hold until you're 87 years old, right? You're not going to be as, as fluid. You're not going to be moving around the same. Those first 10 years after retirement, that's when I want you to do things. That's the doing time. That's the time when you take your grandchildren. Yeah. We had a client the other day. We're going to take everybody to Hawaii for, for a vacation. Well, that was, that's amazing. That's nice. Right? They don't do it every year. They do it every few years. But they write one big check. That's a big amount of money. And they know how to do it now today with the whole Airbnb. It works nice. You get a big air house. And it certainly costs less than seven hotel rooms. And it's a fun experience. But they probably wouldn't be as physically active 10 or 15 or even 20 years from now. So, so just keep that in mind. How about this? There are times when a life insurance policy itself has run its course. It's done what it was supposed to do. Right? You bought it. You needed it for a period of time when the kids were young or when my grandchildren were young or suddenly everybody's okay and We've saved up enough money and we sold off the duplex and now we have enough. So everything is done and you still have a life insurance policy. Spend some time researching whether or not it's worth it to sell it. I don't know if it is. 
there are organizations out there that buy life insurance policies from, well, perfectly healthy people, but they also buy them from people that are, that are ill. They buy the policies and say, hey, listen, we're going to exchange something for you. What are we going to exchange? You have a 500000 I'm just going to make up numbers here. There's a $500,000 life insurance policy. We will give you 100000 in cash, and we'll pay the premiums now. And you were going to let it lapse anyway. You were going to let it go away. Instead of letting it go away, how about sell it? And maybe they pay you 50000 80000 100 I don't know what the number is. It's based on your health. It's based on your age. It's based on what type of policy you have. So there's a lot of factors. And whatever the, the quote that you receive, always shop. Right? Ask a second company or a third company. See what, it, see what the market's like. Maybe you'll find somebody that's going to give you a much better right, uh, price than the other. And then you check with your tax preparer, your CPA. Hey, is this, a ta- is this a taxable event to me? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. How much of this $100,000 is a taxable event? So there's going to be a formula that they have, and you look at it and you say, yes, it's worth it, or no, it isn't. So just before you cancel that insurance policy, you say, okay, it's done its thing. Then off it goes. All right, so, so check twice. The, the, the next area that's pretty important, I think, is something called a cash value policy. If done right, big, big uh, asterisk, if done right, they can be a wonderful supplement to your retirement income. The dollars that you pull from the cash value are tax-free withdrawal because it's considered a loan against the policy. The policies, the underwritten value, the dollars that are inside of there, right, the savings portion, that is earning interest. So there's a formula that says don't pull out more than X and the policy will last forever. I love cash value policies that have disability, long-term care type uh, type riders where they're virtually free or no extra cost. I like those that say, listen, we can be long-term care. We can be life insurance. We can even be, if we had to, uh, additional savings, retirement savings, income, etc. Those are really important parts to your retirement income because, look, the more the merrier, right? If you're retired and I can get three or four or five sources of income, I'm a happy guy. I don't want you to be somebody who has one source of income called a pension, right? I I may have mentioned, some of you may remember, but I actually had a a client who was a Caltrans uh, engineer, supervisor engineer, smart guy, super smart, roads and bridges and making big money, big money, 200,000, 25, 20, 25 grand a month. I said, well, tell me, you know, what have you done for retirement? He said, nothing. I go, well, you have a deferred compensation. You guys can save thousands of dollars a month. Nope, didn't. How about your house? Are you paying it off? No, I didn't plan on it. What are you doing? Well, I put money for my children's college. Okay, good, nice. And then we just live nicely. We travel, we do, we want to spend our money while we're, I go, what about for retirement? You're in your 50s. Well, the pension. My pension is going to be X amount of dollars, and I think it's going to be. I said, okay, so let's say your pension is $12,000 a month. That's a good number. You can live like a king or a queen almost anywhere in this country, in this world, on $12,000 a month. I, I said, so 
what happens when they cut it? He goes, well, they won't. It's a union. It's a contract. It's a law. I said, what happens when they cut it? Because you can't tell me that the Caltrans worker who gets paid $3,000 a month, they're going to go to him or her and say, your pension is $3,000 a month and we're going to cut you, but we're not going to cut the guy who makes 12000 a month. You don't think there's a riot coming down the street? You don't think there's a problem when people start seeing that the guy who makes 12, they're going to hurt you the most. Why? I started this segment with it because you are the rich. I'm not saying he didn't work it for it. He didn't earn it. Forget the right and wrong. I'm talking about math. Unfortunately, so many people forgot about how to use math because it's about common core. It's about what you feel. Do you feel like six six plus six is 12? Because if you don't, that's okay. What do you feel like it is? Well, when it comes to pensions and retirement, this Caltrans gentleman, I'm hoping his plans work out the way he does. But we saw what eight years of hope and change were. It was destructive because somebody forgot to bring a calculator along. You, you, you saw what hope and change and hope and hope. Your retirement, guys. Don't hope the stock market's going to stay up forever because I promise you it isn't. Warren Buffett has been taking his money out of the market like crazy. It's not me saying it. It's CNBC. It's, it's Market Watch. So please be careful, guys. 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. That's who I am. That's our number here on, on the uh, Total Financial Hour. You can get a hold of me all week long. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. All week long, you can catch us at that number as well. It's my privilege and pleasure to meet with you at any time. 888-99-RETIRE. I'm Arif Hallaby. Thanks for being with me on the Total Financial Hour. This is your place for news, talk, and information. This is AM870, The Answer. Now every dollar's got a job to do